He's an awesome God, isn't he? I'm so glad that you're here this morning. We're going right back into James chapter 1. Let me mention, uh, I thought about it just a moment ago because uh, I saw some people still f- filling out their sponsorship forms. If it didn't make it into the popcorn bucket when it comes by, uh, I know that Pastor Teresa, Sam, they're going to be out at the Circle J table afterwards. You may have some questions, so stop by and see them afterwards. Uh, James is like this really incredible practical book that I've been talking to you about, written by the uh, brother of Jesus himself. It's just a book of wisdom and practicality. And I shared with you last week that if you and I would be back today and we would put into motion the principles that we're going to see in James chapter 1 today, it can just really revolutionize all kinds of relationships in our life. It really can If you were to hear today, which you will, but you were to take it beyond that and you were to embrace it in your life, that you'd just say, hey, I'm not just going to hear this, but I'm going to actually apply it in my life. I'm just telling you, in every dimension of relationships, they just get better. It would get better where you work. You say, well, you know, is it going to change everybody at work? You know, they're not even here. No, but it would change you and it will help you to relate better. Uh, Some of you right now, you're in big trouble in, in your marriage and there's some complexities about that. And you're like, I don't even know if we can turn the corner. This thing can even be saved. And I'm just saying to you this morning, if you will hear me out for the next few moments from James chapter 1, and you'll just say, God, help me to do that more. Help me to really take that and make it a part of my life. I'm just telling you, friend, it will not only improve your marriage, but it can save your marriage. It can help you to have better friendships. It can help you relate to your kids better. I'm just telling you, this is a tremendous book of wisdom that we have, that we've been going through together, and uh, I'm excited that we have the chance to go back into it uh, again this morning. There's a researcher by the name of William Manager who discovered that, listen to this truth, and this is one dimension of the relationships. I'll mention a couple we're going to dive right in. But this particular researcher discovered that when people lose their job, up to 80%, up to 80% of the time, that they do not lose their job because of technical incompetence, that the reason why they lose their job, eight out of every 10, is because of relational competence. It's not that they're not smart. It's not that they don't know how to do their job. It's not that they don't have a high skill level. They just don't relate well to people. They can't get along with people. People don't like them. And so 80% of the people who lose their job. And this has not just been uh, bore out by William Miniger, but many others like Daniel Goldman and such who wrote the book Emotional Intelligence and others who have said, you know, this is a big, big problem. It's not that people are, are not smart. It's just that relationally... They just have challenges that often cause them to be dismissed from their jobs. If you could make some serious progress in the three areas that we're going to impact from James uh, here this morning, you could systematically develop more and better friendships than the ones that you currently have. And realistically, I know how this works. I observe it all the time. It's like we're working very, very hard to find good friends and making minimal effort to actually be a good friend. And I see this happening all the time. Man, I want some friends. I want some really good friends. And yet the person is not working on being a really good friend. And it's like, hey, this is what I need, but this is not what I'm going to bring into the relationship. And, and they often bring into the relationship some of the same impairments that cause them to you know, find making friendships difficult in the first place. 
When you think about marriage and you think about that in the context of the Christian community, do you realize that even among followers of Jesus, that marriages end in the divorce almost as many marriages end in divorce where there are two Christians involved, then there are two people who are totally far from God. And I just say, well, that, that doesn't have to happen. There are things that we can learn and grow and experience in the Bible that can help marriages to not just survive, but to actually thrive. And we're going to deal with this because I think that what James mentions here this morning just deals with, you think about it, your work relationships, if you're a parent with your kids, if you're married with your spouse, you know, with your, it just, you know, every area of relationships, if we could just get these three things down that we're going to look at this morning, it, it could just, again, it could, it could upset in a positive way our relational world. I'm eager to get into those with you this morning, so let's go ahead and look up here on the screen. This is James chapter 1. We're picking up this morning at verse 19 and verse 20, and here we go. This is what it says, my dear brothers, take note of this. And then there's this colon here, and then what is this next word? Say it with me, everybody. Everyone, this key word, everyone, 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 everyone. No, nobody excluded. Everyone should be quick to slow to, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So uh, let's dive right in. You know, a lot of times uh, for me as well, I, I can't remember, you know, like I'll give a talk and then two days later, I'm back to working on the next talk. And if you were to ask me, uh, okay, well, what did you speak about a month ago? Honestly, I'd probably have to go back and just say, okay, think about it, think about it. If I couldn't recall it, I'd go look and see you know, the talk that I gave. But this one, it is just so simplistic in terms of being able to grasp. grasp. It's not as easy to apply, I'll tell you that, but it's easy. So when you walk away and if somebody was to ask you a week later, a month later, a couple of months later, you know, what does James chapter 1, 19, 20 say? You'd be able to respond. You know, it says, be quick in this area, in one area, be slow in these two areas. So let's look at it for the next few moments. First of all, and you may want to get this down, uh, you know, take some notes, your phone, your tablet. Number one, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. This is what James is saying, the, the wisdom of this. Now, if, if you have ever doubted the practicality and wisdom of the Bible, then just consider real life on this one. So hear me out. I'm going to ask you a question, and then you think about it. If you don't think the Bible addresses reality, here's the question. Do you know anybody, do you know anybody who talks too much and listens too little. You know anybody like that? No, don't, don't look at them. I, I, that's, you know, like, yeah. No, don't, don't do that. Do you know anybody who talks too much and listens too little? The idea, when James talks about being quick to listen, the idea here is to devote yourself to becoming a great listener. And this is so utterly contrary to everything that basically we're taught in belief. And that is, you know what, we've got to learn how to be a great talker, that if we really want to captivate people, if we really want to impress people and amaze people, we need to learn how to communicate, be a great talker. And, and certainly communication, I'm not negating that, in the context of marriage, is very important, but you're going to see where we're going with this. But a lot of times our focus is on like, I've got to really learn how to be a great talker. So I'm going to learn some clever sayings, I, I want to develop some impressive words, I'm going to communicate deep thoughts, and I had ideas. And so I want to learn how to be a great talker. While I was working on this talk about talking, I, I came to the realization that, 
you know, when I was a Southeastern University student and I was working on my degree because of my calling, this was the particular degree field that I took. And you know how it is. You have like your 101 level class, 201, 301. And part of my degree program was I would have to take classes like fundamentals of speech and homiletics and, you know, different classes that deal with public speaking. And there was a lot of focus on learning how to communicate. But the reality is, you know, nobody, and this is not a knock on, I love love my university, but I don't know of any university, and it may be that this was offered as part of my, uh, you know, degree program, and I just wasn't listening, but I've never heard of a class called Listening 101. How do you learn how to be a great listener? But, But James is making a very valid point that we need to be quick to listen. Now, it's interesting to me when I I start thinking about this because when you and I consider the Scriptures, when we think about the Bible, we think only of what God is saying. We think about God's words. In in fact, it is a synonymous term. We'll say sometimes the Bible, other times we'll say Scripture, other times we'll say God's words. So we, we think in terms, and rightly so, about God's communication to us. And all of that would be totally accurate, but somehow we forget that God is an exceptional listener. God listens very, very well. So many places in the Bible, but I want you to take a look at Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 24. Look at this verse up on the screen. It says this, before they call, I will answer. Uh, God says, while they are still speaking to me, I will what? I will hear. And God is an exceptional listener, and now James is saying, all right, if you want your, the dynamic of your relationships to get better, friends, marriage, work, kids, parents, whatever the case, these are things that you need to really, you know, you be quick to, to listen, be a really good listener. Now, how do we do that? And sort of subpoints of this first thought I'm, I'm giving to you out of James chapter 1, let me just mention uh, two or three really practical things on being a great listener. Now, uh, first one would be this. If you want to become a great listener, it's really important that you pay attention or you look at the person who is talking to you. Now, that that matters a whole lot, and we've all been guilty of not necessarily doing that, and I I feel, you know, a conviction even thinking about it this morning because I can think of times as a dad where I was right in the middle of working on something, and my kids were talking to me about something, and I would even say, I mean, the stupidity of what I was doing, I'd I'd be like, okay, I hear, and then I gave myself excuse, I justified by not making eye contact with him, and I say, hey, I promise you, daddy is listening to what you're saying, even though I'm not looking right at you at this moment. And I just thought about, man, isn't that so congruent with what we often do? You ever do that in restaurants? You're like, you know, the wait staff comes to your table and they ask you something and, and you're like barely even look up and nod. Don't even really make eye contact. And Jesus was so masterful at this. Jesus was always noticing people that other people did not know. He'd lock eyes with people who other people just overlooked. He'd go to places and he'd come in contact with lepers and you didn't want to have, you know, if you were all, you know, uh, thinking about ceremonial uncleanliness, and you didn't want to have contact. In fact, the law prohibited you having contact with lepers, but not Jesus. Jesus knew that a leper needed also the power of touch, and and he would often embrace them and hug them, and it would be like the first time that they had ever been hugged in like many, many years. 
and he'd look at them, and people mattered to him. And so, you know, this whole idea of, <clears throat> of really being a great listener, I think part of it is just really looking. When's the last time you really looked at somebody when they were talking to you? When's the last time that you really looked? Here's another thought. Great listeners ask really good questions. If you say, well, you know what, I need to be, I'm going to follow this. I want my relationships to get better. I'd like for my marriage to get better. I'd like for things to get better at work. I want to have better friends. Then one of the ways to learn how to be a great listener is to learn the value of asking really good questions. And again, in this area, Jesus was an absolute expert. He had often asked people questions. He'd he'd look at somebody, and again, he'd see people that nobody else was seeing. And, And he'd say things like this, questions. What is it that you want me to do for you? He would say, and we looked at this one not too long ago, where's your husband? To his own disciples, he's having a conversation with them, and, and he's wanting to draw out of them, and, and he says, what is it that you are arguing about? See, Jesus was a master at asking questions, and the truth of the matter is a lot of times we don't ask questions because we're not nearly as concerned about the responses. All we're trying to do is think about the next thing that we need to interject in the conversation just as soon as they take a breath. And we don't, how many times have we done that? Somebody be talking about something and we're not, we're not really listening because you know what we're doing? We're building this up in our mind, what we're going to say as soon as we get half a chance. Great listeners look at people when they talk to them. They're not, have you ever, have you ever had this happen to you? When you, were, when you were talking to somebody and they were, while you were talking, you just knew it. It was so overt. It was so obvious that while you were talking to them and maybe what you were talking to them about, about was a really serious matter. And while you were talking to them, their eyes were just scanning the room. They were just like looking over your shoulder and like looking. And you know what that creates? That creates the third thing we'll talk about, but you have to wait to that till we get to that one. But great listeners, look at the people that they're talking to. They ask really good questions. And here's the third thing. Great listeners will never betray a confidence. They just won't. When someone shares a confidence with you, if your mentality is right, if you're a great listener, you say this. Immediately you declare, you know what? I'm going to go to my grave with this one. I'm going to my grave with this one. This is safe. They're safe. This is totally safe with me. And they've confided with me. In me, they've shared a confidence with me, and I will take it to my grave. And I'm just telling you, you, you want to blow up a friendship, you want to blow up a relationship in any work, in your family, among your friends, you let somebody share with you a confidence, and they believe that you're going to hold it confident, and you don't, I'm telling you, you have wrecked, maybe even done irreparable damage to that relationship. And it's totally unnecessary. Now, Jairus and I have talked about this often. There's sometimes in the context of, you know, what I do as a pastor and, you know, I, I, I have people share confidences with me and maybe they go a little more vocal with it later and Jairus will hear about it and she'll say, hey, you, you never told me. And I said, I know. And she'll say, they shared with you confidentially, didn't they? And I said, yes. And you gave them your word you never shared. And I said, yes. And she says, I know. And I have that same understanding with her, people who have shared things with her in confidence. And I've heard her, overheard her say many times to people before, Jeff is going to go to his grave with so much stuff that people have shared with him. And I will. Because if somebody trusts you enough to share something with you confidentially, I'm telling you, friend, you take it to the grave with you. You take it. That's for your ears, and that's not for you to communicate. 
And James said, you be really, really quick to listen. You be a great listener. You be a great listener. Secondly, all right, one thing quick, two things slow. Be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. I was thinking a lot about that while I was working on this talk because I want all of my relationships to get better. I want your relationships to get better. And I was thinking a lot about this. And I thought about it. I never have regret for the moments when I sincerely and attentively listen to people who are talking to me. In fact, when that happens, you know how people feel because you know what it feels like on your side of the equation. I've walked away and I've really listened. I've really been dialed into what somebody was saying to me. And I know that while I'm really listening to them, that person, if we do well, if we do well, in terms of being a great listener, that person is going to feel respected and they're going to feel validated and they're going to feel tremendously loved. And I, I've, I've walked away from all kinds of settings like that and I had no regret at all because I thought, man, that was the right thing to do and it felt right to me and I prayed that it was helpful to that person. It's not those things that I have remorse over. It's times when I've, I've been too quick to speak and I haven't really processed what I should have said. And there's been so many times I'd like to be able to just reach for the big hook and pull back words that I said because I didn't soften my words or I was sort of impatient with my response. And, and then I have to ask, why did I even feel the need to speak at all? Why did I even have to? They weren't even asking me my opinion. They didn't even ask me what I thought. I just felt the need to offer it. And I just say, man, why can't you have just, just clammed up? Why do you even have to speak to it all? And James is just saying, you know what? When it comes to listening, you be really, really quick to listen. But when it comes to speaking, you be real slow about speaking. It's just a good thing sometimes to just be quiet. Several years ago, some friends of ours had taken their young son to the doctor. So as they're seated in the pediatrician's office, you know how kids will sometimes do. Their little boy gets down on the floor, and some of the kids are, are playing together. And, the, you know, the waiting room is fairly packed, and there's this lady in there, and I don't know of any good way to say it. I'm just, I, I try to think of every, but I'm telling you, this lady was like, blah, 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 blah. And not only was she just talking without stopping, saying way, way too much, she was speaking in harsh tones to her own children were there in the office with her. Finally, our friend's little boy had had it up to here. He had had absolute enough. Some of you who maybe grew up in church, you've heard this little song that we were taught when we were real young. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful. And he just started when he did that. He just, you know, be careful, little ears, what you hear. He just, he never even looked up at the lady. He just started singing, oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Be careful, little mouth. There's a father up above looking down in tender love. There's a be careful little mouth what you say. It's a kid's nice way of saying, be quiet. Enough already. My friend said it was almost, you know, it just, you know, was sort of shocking to them. And then they felt like everybody in the room wanted to just stand up and applaud and just say, hey, yeah, we were thanking it too. We wanted to join in and sing with you as well. But we need to just... Learn the value of being slow to speak. Here's a thought. Would you like it if more people thought that you were very wise, a very wise and intelligent person? Maybe even more brilliant than what you know that you actually are? Well, the Bible, if that be true, and I think all of us would like to think that people would think of us as being wise, intelligent. Well, if we want that to be true, the Bible has a fantastic answer for this. I love this. You're going to see it up on the screen. Take a look at Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17 says this, 
a truly wise person uses, what does it say? Two words. Few words. A truly wise person uses what? Few words. A person with understanding is even tempered. I really like this next verse. Look at what it says. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. So sometimes if you want people to be impressed with your intelligence, if I want somebody to think that I'm a really wise person, the best way for me to try to uh, validate that I really am wise to keep my mouth shut lest I open it and expose myself for being the fool that I really am. And James is just saying, you know what? Be really, really quick to listen and be slow to speak. I want to give you a couple of practical thoughts on this one. Sometimes when you, thought number one under this, sort of a second, a uh, first sub-point under the second thought, sometimes when you feel that you're talking too much, which is, I'll, I'll just say it like this, it's not always easy to discern when you're talking too much because it just seems like really natural. But if you, especially since you've seen James chapter one today, and all of a sudden you're having a conversation and you're like, oh man, here I go, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm talking way too much. Then when that happens, here's something to do. It's real practical. Just stop talking. Maybe you even visualize like a little red stop sign in your brain. And you're like talking, talking, talking. Oh, man. Oh, my. I need to let them talk. And you just, you just stop talking. Because I promise you, there's somebody on the other end of the conversation that they're wanting to speak to. They've just not had a chance yet. I'm very reluctant. I'm very convicted. Let me just tell you, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this to you, especially since I'm talking about this subject, and especially since I just mentioned James 1, where it says, be quick to listen, be a good listener. There's somebody that I know, they don't go to this church, you don't know them, you could never figure them out, that's why I can share it. But I'm telling you, this person has a PhD in talking. I mean, just... And I've been on, and again, I'm embarrassed. I'm hope. is there some grace here or you feel like all judgment riddled today? Is there any grace here? Do, can I just see, okay, three of you feel grace, four of you. Anybody, if you feel judgment, just keep it to yourself. But, and again, I'm embarrassed. I probably shouldn't even say it, but I'm that kind of guy who doesn't always keep his mouth shut. So I've got somebody that I know that I'm telling you from the time you get on the phone, you realize, and, and it happens so many times, I mean, it is, it is the normative, it is not the exception, that they don't really care what you've got to say. They're never going to ask you a question. They just want to talk. They just want to tell you. And I can't tell you the number of times, Barris, please don't judge me, that I've been on the phone. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, 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 okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've set the phone down, and I've went and done something else for about three or four or five. I'm not, I'm not proud of that. I'm embarrassed to admit that and just doing stuff. And I know this person well enough. I'm just like doing all kinds of things. And I know, I know because I've, I've done it more than once. I go back over, and I pick it up, and it's like, it's still going on. They never knew I was gone. They never knew I, I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, oh, yeah. And it's just on and on, on and on. I got in the go now. All right, good, great, great talking to you too. 
Thank God. And, uh, you know, you and I don't want to fall into that same trap where people would be like, man, I'd just like to get some words in here. So sometimes when we sense that we're talking too much, just stop talking. Listen to a different voice. Here's another practical thought with this one. Practice not interrupting. Practice not interrupting. Let the other person speak. The other person really wants to speak. Don't interrupt them. Uh, Winston Churchill, it was said about him, a true story. He was, I, I guess, because of him and his influence and cloud and such, he just felt like he could interrupt anybody at any time. And he was notoriously known to, in the middle of a conversation, to interrupt somebody. So he's at a family dinner one night, and his son-in-law is at the table. And while his son-in-law is telling a story, he interrupts. He interrupts his son-in-law mid-sentence. His son-in-law tries to get the conversational ball back in his court. And when he does, you know what Winston Churchill said? He looked at his son-in-law and he said, listen, don't interrupt me when I'm interrupting. When I'm interrupting, you don't interrupt. Don't interrupt while I'm interrupting. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, you know, somebody don't even get to finish a thought. We're like, okay, because we're already thinking about it, or we're already thinking about our response. I mean, if they take just a breath, they're drawing some of God's oxygen. We're all over it. And James would say, don't do that. That's not a good thing. If you want to get better in your relationships, if you want to get better in the context of your relationships, don't worry about being a great talker. Think more about being a great listener. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. And then this third one, it's another one, be slow. Remember, be quick to, say it with me, listen. Be slow to speak. And then the last one, be slow to become angry. Be slow to become angry. In fact, can I just tell you this? If we get the first two right, then this area is so much effortless to reach because we never work up, you know, that anger. When we really take the time to hear somebody out and we listen, and we're really quick to listen, we're working on being a great listener. We're looking at them, and we're paying attention to what they're saying. And we're not interrupting them, and we're just listening, listening, listening. We're being slow to speak. We don't ever get word. Have you ever had this happen to you? This typically, I think, maybe plays out more in a workplace environment. There may be other settings. But have you ever done something like this? I know I have, where you like, you were anticipating a conversation that you were going to have. The conversation has not even happened, but you're anticipating, you're thinking about the conversation that is going to happen and while you're thinking about what you say. Again, it's not even happened. You're thinking about what you're going to say and then you go ahead and imagine what this person is going to say and you imagine what they're saying and what you imagine they're going to say makes you mad and you're already mad and agitated before you even have the conversation with them. It's like you got an attitude before you even sit down and talk with them. You ever done this? Okay, you wouldn't admit it if you did. I understand. But it's like, you know, why do I work myself up in this regard? Be slow, James says. He makes it clear that our human anger does not produce God's righteousness in our life. But often in the heat of the moment, we totally disregard this truth, and we may even search for ways to justify our anger. Like, I needed to do that. Have you ever just felt like, you know what, I think I would feel better if I would just ventilate a little bit, if I'd just let it go, if I'd just get it off my chest? No. That sounds good in concept, in theory, but it doesn't really feel good to the person on the other side. 
This lady by the name of, her name is Carol Tavers, and she's written about this. She says, the contemporary ventilation, uh, person who ventilates, ventilationist, there it is, ventilationist, a view, is that it's always important to express anger so that it won't clog your arteries or your relationships. But she says, but if your express rage causes another person to shoot you, it won't matter that if you die with clear arteries. There's another problem with ventilation, she says. Researchers have discovered that people don't enjoy getting ventilated on. The ventilator has a good time, but the ventilatee tends to get angry. How often do you see this scene? It is written. One man feels he's been caught off by another motorist. He pulls alongside the perpetrator, yelling, What kind of idiot are you? What were you thinking? Why were you trying to kill me? Does the other person respond? That's a point well taken. You've touched me deeply. I'm, I'm going to change. And by the way, thank you for taking the time to offer me that hand gesture as well. Is that what happens? Absolutely not. Research on anger has reached a level of consensus rare. This writer says, and it's true, research on anger has reached a level of consensus that is rare in social sciences. Three major reviews covering dozens of studies over several decades did not find a single study that demonstrates that catharsis, letting anger fly, is an, is an effective way to manage anger. You know what it does? This research says it may feel good to the person that is ventilating, but all it does is it creates more anger. It doesn't cause anger to subside. Please listen, friends. Life is way too short than to cause all kind of relational damage because you and I choose not to control our anger. The Bible is very clear on this, that if we stir up anger, it's going to create a lot of trouble for us. Here's a verse for all of us. It's not on the screen, but I promise you this verse is in the Bible. I'm not making it up. In fact, I'll give you the reference. Ecclesiastes 7.9. Listen to this verse. Don't be quick to fly off the handle. Anger boomerangs. You can spot a fool by the lumps on his head. You can spot them. They're always agitating people. You can spot a fool by the lumps on his head. Now, I want you to read this next verse with me. Proverbs 30, verse 33. This one is on the screen. If you churn milk, read it with me, you get butter. If you hit someone's nose, it bleeds. If you stir up anger, you get into trouble. And if you and I, man, there's such wisdom and practicality in this. James is saying if you want your relationship, the dynamic of your relationships to get better, become a greater listener. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak and be slow to become angry. Because when you become angry, when you stir up anger, all it's going to do is create trouble for you. But it's not just going to negatively impact you. It's also going to frustrate and hurt and alienate the people around you. Some of you, maybe this morning, you even realize you're an angry person. You feel it on the inside. You just sometimes feel this inner rage. And you're like, man, I know I'm an angry person. If you know, let me just say this, if you know you're an angry person, That's actually the beginning to a solution because you admit it. You've got self-awareness. If you're an angry person and you don't know you're an angry person because you won't ever listen to the people that are trying to tell you that you're an angry person, the reality is you're going to create a lot of challenges for yourself. 
you're actually probably going to contaminate every relationship in your life. Because I've never known of a single marriage that has gotten better when there was just like anger that's fuming all the time. I never know, never have known of a working dynamic where there's just like constant anger and accusation and insult and people walk away at the end of the day and they feel better about working there. And parents become angry at kids and kids become angry at parents. That doesn't make relationships better. It sabotages them, contaminates them. It makes them worse. Maybe today you just say, you know, which area or areas do I need to give most attention to? I mean, James gives us such wisdom. Be quick to what? Listen. Maybe that's the one you need to work on. Maybe you just say, I'm not a great listener. I don't really dial into people. You know, I don't really pay attention to them. I don't want to ask good questions. And maybe you even have some inward conviction because people have shared with you things in confidence in the past and you've like blurted them out. Be quick to listen, James says. And then you be slow to speak. Don't interrupt people. If you feel that you're talking way too much, just stop. Time out. Listen to somebody else. You don't have to do I don't have to do all the talk. Be slow to become angry. And James is like saying, you know what? You just work on those three. You just work on those three. And I hope that you will. I hope as early as today, you'll say, you know what? I'm going to make some progress in these three areas. You can start today. And you know what? You start today and you perpetuate that and you just stay to that, stay at that. People look and they'll just say, hey, they're a different person. Wow. And I promise you, I promise you, it will make the relationships in your life so much better. You can repair relational damage. You know, just by going back, maybe you'd ask some questions. How have I hurt you? What can I do to make our relationship better? You can repair relational damage. You can tremendously improve all your current relationships in every area just by following the wisdom of James chapter 1. And then you know what will happen? You'll be so glad when you get to the end of your life and you've been blessed by so many relationships. You know, as a pastor, and I didn't even think about this while working on this talk. I didn't even mention it, you know, in the last hour. But as a pastor, I've, I've been there at the end of a lot of people's lives. Somebody asked me the other day, how many weddings have you done? I don't have a clue. I don't know. I wish I'd written them down. How many funerals have you done over the year? I, I don't know. Don't even have a clue. R- wish I'd written them down. But I see people who relationally live well, and man, at the end of their life, they're just like surrounded by family and friends because they've made all these relational investments. And then I've seen the antithesis of that where people got to the end of their life and they were so dominating and so controlling and such an angry, resentful person. It's like total contrast of those who were surrounded by their loved ones and friends at the very end. And if you and I heed what we've just seen this morning, James chapter 1, simple to remember. It's not easy to put into practice. In fact, let's say it together. Just sort of etch it in our brain a little bit more. Be quick to, be slow to, and be slow to become. If you and I do that, we'll get to the end of our life, and we will be so glad that we took the wisdom of God seriously. Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? Standing, don't forget, next week is Mother's Day. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. All moms, you'll be here. Bring your mom with you to church next week. 
Would you just bow your heads and would you close your eyes right where you're at? And maybe you just say, you know what? I needed this message today. I needed to see James chapter 1 today. This is something that I need to put in place in my life. I want my marriage to get better. I want my friendships to get better. I want my working relationships to get better. I needed to hear this message today. This was for me, and I want to put it into practice in my life. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you just lift up your hand and let me see it real quickly, and I want to pray for you right where you're at. Thank you so much. A lot of us have our hands raised. And God, we really do want to get better at this area. We've blown it so many times. But we know that it's not too, too late then to start right now. And all of us can go back and we can make things right. We can repair relational damage. Lord, in the next months and years of our life, our relationships can become so much better. Just by being quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to become angry, and just really, really doing more like you are and following your example and the example that you give to us in your word. So help us today, God. I know that you will. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give the Lord some praise before we're done? I love you, everybody. I hope you have an awesome week. I'll see you right back here in church next Sunday.